Let's pray. Lord, may your word live in us, bear much fruit to your glory. Amen. Today we come to one of the climax passages in Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. It has this simple form, since we have, since we have, let us, let us, let us. That is, it sums up the great teaching of the last chapters about the, the wonderful greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ using the categories and thought world of sacrifices and priesthood in what we would call the Old Testament, since we have. Then he brings it directly home to the reader in what they're to do in the light of this. Since we have, let us. Since we have, let us. Since we have, let us. So we have two since we haves and three let us's. And next week in chapter 10, Verse 26 and following, we'll hear from Justin what they most certainly must not do. So today, what they must do. Next week, what they must not do. Don't miss it. Let me start with the very first, since we have. There are two kinds of confidence to enter the presence of the Holy God. There is the false confidence of the blind and the true confidence of the blood the false confidence of the blind, the true confidence of the blood. The false confidence of the blind is feeling that all is okay, no worries. No, there's no issue. And it's because you're blind, of course. You're blind to your own sin, you're blind to your own uncleanness and blind to the terrifying holiness of God. It's character children in a film way back in 1968, the first Crocodile Undie, the good one. Um, at one point, Mick is describing to his girlfriend, Sue, how he thought he was a goner after being attacked by a crocodile. But death, as we see, has no worries for Mick Dundee. Quote, Mick, I thought, I said to myself, Mick, old son, find yourself a nice, comfortable spot and lay down and die. Sue, weren't you afraid? Mick, of dying? Nah, I read the Bible once. You know God and Jesus and all them apostles? They were all fishermen, just like me. Yep, straight to heaven from Mick Dundee. Yep, me and God, we'll be mates. Now, I know that's a caricature, but it's a caricature of what may be a real, I fear not, uncommon attitude. Its shallow complacency is undone by the very words of Hebrews itself. In the section just after our passage, the author warns about the terrors of willfully persisting in sin, having received the knowledge of truth, because, quote, verse 31, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And later the author will conclude chapter 12 with this, 12:28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You see how dangerously foolish is the false confidence of the blind. Well, if not the false confidence of the blind, what true confidence then? Well, the temptation is to have another version of the false confidence of the blind, more subtle, to think of one's confidence in one's own spiritual achievements or how you're feeling in a moment during a worship service as the music moves you along. This is a false trail. No, the true confidence is the confidence in the blood. 
Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. The word confidence here is literally the word for boldness or openness. It can mean firm assurance and confidence, but I wonder where the author has mind not so much a subjective attitude, how I feel about it, so much as an objective freedom. Since we have authorization, we have freedom or permission to enter. Openness or freedom to do what? To enter the most holy place. Now that's a reference to the holy of holies, the, the actual presence of the holy God. And how do we have that freedom to enter the most holy place? Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. It is the by the blood of Jesus we have confidence, freedom to enter the most holy place. That is, by the sacrifice which he offered as high priest in the heavenly holy place, most holy place, once and for all time. That sacrifice opened what the author calls here a new and living way for us through the curtain. Now, that, that, that evokes a whole story. In the, in, the, in the tabernacle, the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. And that was shielded, its holiness, from more, the more profane parts by a curtain. By a curtain. And the new and living way, says the author, our Lord has made, opened up for us through that curtain so that we may be able to enter into the presence of the living God himself. In the earthly tabernacle, of which the heavenly is regarded as, a, as the true one, the earthly one, just a copy that the Israelites had in the wilderness, no one could go through that curtain, except once a year, the high priest. But now, through the blood of Jesus, that his sacrifice sprinkled in that holy place, there is now a new and living way into the presence of God himself into the presence of what the author says in chapter 9, that greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with human hands, that is to say, not part of this creation. The phrase that follows through the curtain in the NIV, that is his body, is a little difficult to know quite exactly what that means. I follow the suggestion it's best translated by means of his body, although the actual word is flesh, so it should be. Hebrews 19.20 should read like this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open to us through the curtain, that is, by means of his flesh, speaking of the death of Jesus, his body given up, as it were, through the death. Now, that's the first, since we have. There's a second, verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Since we have a great priest over the house of God. Actually, the second since we have has been added by the translator for clarity. What it literally is, is therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open to us through the curtain, that is by means of his flesh, and a great priest over the house of God. So there are two things, we, since we have, Freedom to enter, a great priest. They're the two things we have. 
Although I'll stick with the NIV for clarity, because it's, 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 I'm, I'm not criticizing, it's just how it works. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now, a priest, a great priest, a high priest, is a person appointed by God from the people to represent the people in dealing with God, right? Appointed by God from the people to represent the people in dealing with God. Jesus is that great priest. Jesus is that great priest. Although he is the son of God for all eternity, he became our high priest by first being made human in every way, one of us, tasting death for everyone, and then thirdly, having been made perfect, that is, raised to indestructible resurrection life in his humanity, was if designated by God as high priest forever. And for those who've missed him, after the order of Melchizedek. So he's high priest now in his perfected humanity. We have a high priest over the house of God. Now it's important to notice this. This is not just past. It's present. It's not we had a great high priest. We have now. We have a great high priest. That is the second, verse 21 is talking about the ongoing work of Jesus as high priest. See, in Hebrews, there are two. The high priestly work of Jesus is described both as once and for all time and also as ongoing. Once and all for all time and as ongoing. The once and for all time, Hebrews 10, 12 to 13. Justin brought it to us last week. I quote, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. That's the once for all time. He made purification for sins, sat down. But there's ongoing. Back in Hebrews 7.25, quote, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He always lives to intercede for them. And again, Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Now to appear for us in God's presence. You'll find the same thing in, in, in Romans 8 and 1, Peter, 1 John 2 as well. So there's a finished ministry and an ongoing ministry of Jesus. The finished ministry of making purification for sins and sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The ongoing ministry, which he performs by being himself both high priest and sacrifice, who sits at the Father's right hand. And because he remains in the Father's presence and intercedes for his people, his sacrificial atoning work is perpetual. And don't forget what the author said earlier, way back in chapter 4, about the relevance of the lived experience of our great priest for his ongoing ministry, the relevance of his lived experience as a human being, this is, for his ongoing ministry. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Tested in every way as we have, but not sin. So we have a great high priest of the house of God. Whoever lives to intercede for us and he's not unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. So in Hebrews here, 10, 10 uh, 
19 to 21, we have both the finished work and the ongoing work. Verse 19 and 20, the finished work. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way which he opened, which he opened for us through the curtain, that is by means of his flesh, and the ongoing work, verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now the author is addressing these wonderful truths to the wavering congregation of Jewish believers he's writing to. But these words are also for you. They're also for you. You also have the way to the most holy place opened for you by the blood of Jesus and have that freedom. You also have the ongoing ministry of intercession of a great high priest over the house of God. You have that. The question is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Because all this is building up to something. Since we have, since we have, what follows from that? Three calls to action. Since we have, let us, let us, let us. Verses 22 through 25. One, verse 22. Since we have, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That's the first, let us. The second in verse 23. Since we have, let us, number two, hold unswerving to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. The third one is in verse 24. Since we have, and let us, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Not giving up, meeting together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's look at each one. First, since we have, the first let us, verse 22. Since we have, let us draw near to God. It's one word, actually, in the Greek. It's the word, let us approach. Since you have the freedom to enter in, since you have a great high priest of the house of God, what should you do with it? You should draw in. You should use it. You should approach. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, go in. Since we have a great high priest, approach. Use what you have, in other words, the privileges, the rights that's been achieved for you. In fact, until recently, I hadn't realised the significance of the verb which is translated, let us draw near to God, literally approach, until I read this, I quote, this word is used only of Levitical priests in the Pentateuch, that is in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's used in the first five books, only of the Levitical priesthood. That's what they did in the tent, they drew near. That is drawing near Approaching is the act of entering the holy presence of God and the preserve only of the priests, no one else. No one else. But now, by the blood of Jesus, it's the right of every believer. Every believer has that right who has an even greater degree of assurance through a high priest who is permanently situated in the holy place. I often say, we Christians don't do away with priests. We've got a better one. That's our confidence. And the writer adds four qualities 
by, in their drawing, their four qualities. He said, let us draw near to God, one, with a sincere heart, and two, with full assurance that faith brings, three, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and four, having our bodies washed with pure water. A sincere heart means you really mean it. You're not double-minded. You take this privilege, this freedom, openly. The full assurance that faith brings, or literally the full assurance of faith, means the confidence, this is now speaking subjectively this time, that comes from your trust in God and the finished and ongoing work of Jesus. Our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience is the freedom of a conscience cleansed by the blood of Jesus, which gives you freedom to worship the living God without a niggle of guilt. The fourth one, our bodies walk with pure water, is one that scholars are not entirely sure what that is, actually. It may be a reference to Christian baptism, though there's the possibility, strange as it may appear to us, that some kind of ritual washing is in view. After all, our first century believing Jews who did that kind of thing, and just because it was their custom doesn't mean it must be ours. So you don't have to make it something we can do just to interpret it, right? Well, whatever it is, there it is. So here's the first let us that comes from the since we have. It's let us approach the very presence of God with openness, sincerity, confidence in the once for all and continuing work of the great priest. The second let us comes from the since we have is this, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswerving to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. This is the simplest of the let us's. Yet for the readers, it may probably be the most important. Wavering as they are, they're swerving. No, he says, let us hold unswerving to the hope. That's our theme this year, the hope we profess. But why? Because you can do it. You have it in you. No, no. Let us hold on swerving the hope we profess because he who promised is faithful. The reason is not in them. The reason is in him. His faithfulness is a solid foundation for keeping faith. That's why Christian hope is so sure. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus and a great priest over the house of God, let us hold unswerving to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, and lastly, the third let us that comes from the sense we have turns us around to other people. The first two, drawing near and holding unswerving, both, as it were, look up, if you want to put that way, uh, to God. The last one looks out, looks out to others. Verse 24, since we have, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as is the habit of some, some are doing, but encouraging one another and all the more you see the day approaching. So as well as drawing near to God, as well as holding on to their hope, they are literally to consider helping those alongside them. Consider helping those alongside them. Let us consider how to 
stir, spur on or provoke. It's a strange word to use, actually, to provoke somebody. <laughs> I normally provoke people to anger at me, but no, I've got to provoke them to love and good works. Encouraging one another. There is an important role for the Christian community in providing a context of encouragement for Christian virtue and love. For Christian virtue and love. A context provided by modeling, examples, instructing, accountability. A context which the American writer Stanley Howas captures memorably in his book, Resident Aliens. Let me quote him to you. Through the teaching, support, sacrifice, worship, and commitment of the church, utterly ordinary people are enabled to do rather extraordinary, even heroic acts, not on the basis of their own gifts and abilities, but rather by having a community capable of sustaining Christian virtue. The church enables us to be better people than we could have been if left to our own devices." End of quote. That's what the first century Jewish believing community in Rome, I think we, we think they were, were meant to be. And that's what we are also meant to be. Enabling people to do rather heroic acts not on the basis of their own gifts and abilities, but by having a community capable of sustaining Christian virtue. The church enables us to be better people than we could have been if left to our own devices. The church enables us to be better people than we could have been if left to our own devices. That's the sign of a healthy congregation. Now, to be that community, of course, they've got to get together, which seemed to have been a problem for some at that time. I guess as some of the readers, as spiritual fatigue was setting in, they were beginning to drop out. So he says, not giving up meeting together, as is some in the habit of doing, but instead encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. The focus of this last let us then is to fix your thoughts on one another. It's a call for intentional concern, intentional concern for others, not simply yourself. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It's how they and we live lives of Christian virtue. Now, most, that's why a congregation is a community or a congregation or a gathering not an audience, a community, not an audience. You don't come to the Rob and Justin show, or, Just, or here be John, Justin and Joel show, or whatever it is. And by the way, that community comes with have in common, that's what the community means, to have in common. That can, that, by the way, that's the case also, even when you're facing the one way, like you are at the moment, listening, or as you were a moment ago, singing together, that's still in community, you're still sharing together in things, together you're having in common, let alone when in more informal circumstances you turn and face each other and just share each other's lives in those formal settings. And finally, there is a sense of urgency to all this. And all the more, he says, they were doing it all the less. No, no, all the more, he says, 
as you see the day approaching. That is the day when Christ will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Well, there we are. Since we, since we, let us, let us, let us. The import for us, I think, is pretty straightforward. I mean, will you believe and take to heart that you have the freedom to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus once offered? And you have a great priest over the house of God continually interceding for you. Will you believe and take that to heart? Believe and take it to heart. That's the question. And if you will, if so, will you then draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith? Will you use it? And will you, if so, will you hold on swerving to the hope that we profess? And if so, will you give intentional concern for those others alongside you that they also may abound in love and good deeds, lives of Christian virtue? You see, dear brothers and sisters, it's not the understanding of our passage that is difficult, unlike other parts of Hebrews, I might add. <laughs> it's not the understanding that's difficult. It's actually believing and taking to heart what we have in Christ. Believing and taking to heart what we have in Christ and then letting that impact our lives together. Since we have, let us.